0: Smiling down at you for taking such so great care of us during this difficult time. Your kind words and wonderful memories shared with us will not be forgotten. Love the family of Patsy gang uh, meal This Week is sponsored by the Youth. The money is going toward Youth Camp, which is in June. And uh, we still have a few more spots for that sign. So if you want to sign up for that, youth, let me know. Uh, that's June the 23rd through the 29th. The mail this And dessert. And I I don't know about y'all, but Miss Paula and the crew in the kitchen is spoiling us uh, with the the meals that we're getting here. I had to go on a diet. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, Nicaragua blessing bags. See the Shea or any member of the mission team that's going to Nicaragua to donate money for the bags uh, or home construction costs. Nicaragua team, you also have a short meeting, the Shea, where you For the shame, follow her when, when we get done. Uh, joy group, March 3rd, you've got a committee meeting after church in that Avenue's classroom. So, Ch- Joy group, you have your own committee meeting. Uh, let's see, that was a joke. Do we actually have a committee for the Joy group? Yes, no. Okay. Food distribution uh, coming up February 29th. It's going to be First Christian. With the Passover, Sister Janice, who's the 11th of 15, and then a brother Norman, who's number 14 of 15, and Mr. Mr. Wendell is 12. So just if you would just remember that family in
1: prayer. Good morning. Let's pray. Lord, just thank you.
2: Of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace, strength of mercy never ceasing, for for songs of loudest praise, keep me some. Of your soul what matters not to mind the cares you keep the thoughts you think It's not always sick time. seeking you a heart joy is not but still walks with the hurting. if you're still alive and breathing praise the Lord your son didn't sing to me there's still a good news work for me so let's join we love the way <laughs> awake awake and it work for me, so let your hand keep singing, praise the Lord, let everything, let everything, let everything praise the Lord, in the working, in the waiting, let it praise the Lord, in, in the blessing, in the breaking, come on praise.
1: if you would, please be turning in your New Testament to the the book of Romans, chapter 8. We're going to be looking today at three verses of Scripture in the 8th chapter of Romans, verses 28, 29, and 30. Probably, your New Testament may fall open to that passage, because for many believers, The 28th verse of Romans chapter 8 is their favorite verse. It is an amazing verse. It is is a verse that I have placed my head upon many, many times and rested. Paul is writing to Christian believers, people who are already saved. That's important that we understand that this is not verses written to the unbeliever. These are verses written to the believer. And he says in Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom he did foreknow, or whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified them he also glorified. Paul said in verse 28, and we know something. And that dogmatism is what makes the 28th verse so difficult sometimes for us to embrace. If Paul had said, I think most of the time, most things work together for good to most people. We probably could have embraced that. But here Paul comes and dogmatically says, we know something. And what we know is this, that all things work together for good to those that love God and to those who are the call according to the purposes of God. He's not saying that all things work together for good to all people all time. He's not even saying that all things work together for good to God's people all the time. He's saying that all things work together for good, and he gives us two prerequisites. There's the prerequisite of relationship and the prerequisite of partnership. He doesn't say that all things work together for good to everybody. We know that is not true. Then, who is he describing here in these verses? Well, he uses this phrase, all those who love That's Paul's way of saying to the believer in Jesus Christ. To the person who's embraced the gospel. But he doesn't stop there. The truth is, all things don't work together for good to all Christians. We know that. Because he adds another prerequisite. Those that love God and... Those that are the called according to the purposes of God. There he takes it to a different level. Not only the believer, but the partner. Not only one who is in relationship with Christ, but one who is walking with Christ in partnership. Another way to say it is the saved and the surrendered. All the saved don't have all things working together for good to them. It's the saved and the surrendered. I don't know about you, but as a young Christian, I bought into a heresy. Now let me define what heresy is. Heresy is truth out of balance. And when I was first saved, I bought into a truth out of balance. It was enough truth to get me out of hell. But it wasn't enough truth to get the hell out of me. It was enough truth to get me from earth into heaven when I die. But it was not a truth to get God out of heaven in me down here in time. And it took me years to discover that when the Lord saved me, He didn't just save me so I could go to heaven when I die, but He saved me so that He could come and live in me down here on the earth. So that salvation is not just for bread when I'm dead. But salvation is for the nasty now and now. And so I had to learn the truth of Romans 8, 28 and 29. I had to learn what God's purpose was in saving me to start with. And so that's a question I, I would ask every one of us today. Why did God save you? What is God's purpose in salvation? And we're told in verse 29 what that purpose is. So it, it, it's really wrong. Many of us, we've memorized Romans eight twenty eight but we've divorced it from its context and we've isolated it from its two conditional clauses. We've divorced it from its context. Romans eight twenty eight, out of context, would indicate that all things were together at all times for all Christians, and that's not true. So we, when we divorce it from its context and isolate it from its two conditional clauses, then we can really get in trouble in a hurry so what did Paul mean when he said all things work together for good I have in my pocket a pen I call my wife the pen queen of the Southern Baptist Convention every booth in the Southern Baptist Convention gives away free pens, listen I've got enough pens you know I've I've, I've got hundreds of pens. Some of them are so old the inks dried in. They didn't cost me a thing. But you know what I love about this pen? What I love about this pen is it's it's successful. How do you define success for a pen? It does what it was created to do. It writes. So it's successful. Now I've got at home they're locked up somewhere now in a box somewhere because they ceased working years ago. I've got gold-plated cross pins that were given to me in 1975 by my deacons at Oakland Baptist Church in Carlton, Mississippi. Beautiful set. They Back then, I can't. I don't have any idea what they cost, but it was probably a, a, a lot of money, a lot more than this free pin cost. Let me tell you. Beautiful. They look great on my desk, but there's only one problem with them. I can scratch my ear with them, you know. I can beat on the desk with them, but one thing I can't do, I can't sign a letter with them. Why? Because they don't do what they were created to do. Those pens are not successful. Now, what is success? Success is determined by purpose. If I'm not doing what I was created to do, I'm not successful, regardless of how gifted I am. And so when we come to ask the question, are you a successful Christian? We have to determine what is success in the Christian life. Is it just going to heaven when you die? Now I thank God for that wonderful, blessed, precious truth that Jesus and I go and prepare a place. For. But do you know that, that my salvation is not just about me? It's not about me going to heaven. It's not just about me having my sins forgiven. What I had to discover was that salvation is more about Him than it is about me. You see, I'm just a little cog in the wheel. God is up to something in this world. And I'm a little cog in that purpose of God. And so are you. And so is this church. And God is weaving together His purposes in your life and in mine, individually and corporately, to further His kingdom down the road. Until one day, He's going to come back and bring this whole thing to consolation. And I say this morning, even so come, Lord Jesus. But what did Paul mean? Well, let me just run run this by. What is God's purpose? Well, let me tell you first of all. God's purpose is good regardless of what my senses are telling me at the time. God's purpose is good regardless of how I feel at the moment. It may not feel good. It may not look good. It may not taste good, but it is good. When we define it by verse 29. Look at verse 29. For whom he did for none. That means God just do it ahead of time. Then he also did predestinate. God marked it out. To what? In this particular verse, what's he talking about? Predestined to what? Heaven or hell? That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about being predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And basically what this verse is saying is that God has a long-range plan for every one of his children. You and me included. And that is that we eventually become like Jesus. And the moment we are saved, that process begins. So, God's purpose is good because from God's perspective, listen to this, anything is good if it makes us more like Jesus Christ. It may not taste good, sound good, look good, but if it moves us forward, In our Christ-likeness, from God's perspective, he says, that is good. When I graduated from high school, I was given a book by T.B. Madison. At the time, he taught at the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and I was given a book entitled God's Will for Your Life. My preacher uncle knew that I was wrestling with God's will. I talked to him about God calling me to preach. I had not surrendered to preach, but I was struggling with that call. And so he gave me a book, God's Will for Your Life. And in the fly leaf of that Bible, he wrote these words. He said, God's will, your greatest accomplishment in life, will be the accomplishment of God's will. And that just let me say that that God's will is good, we don't have to fear it. You know, sometimes we're afraid to totally surrender our lives to God. We're afraid He's going to do something bad to us. He's going to send us to China, or you know, or worse than that, send us to Mississippi. You know, so we like Arkansas. Who knows? Uh, but but God's will, God's plan, is a good plan. It, it's you know, we have, we tend to interpret that term "good" in terms of the American dream. If I've got a four-bedroom, three-bath, that's good. If I've got money in the bank, that's good. If my kids are, are free from diseases, that's good. And so we tend to impose that American interpretation of the word good onto the gospel. And sometimes we're, we're taught that through some very famous preachers who come across our TVs. screen. And they indicate that if I'm really saved and surrendered, then, you know, I'm going to have the best of everything. You know, my kids are never going to get sick. And I'm never going to have any problems. And I'm never going to have any tragedies, And I'm never going to have any things that I can't understand in my life. I mean, everything's just going to be rosy, rosy, rosy. Is that what Paul i There's been all over this world preaching. I preached in villages in India and in South America and in Central America. I I preached to people that I could buy and sell 10,000 times. And I'm not rich, but they have nothing. But is the gospel I preach in India the same gospel I preach in America? Absolutely. You see, the gospel is not dependent upon how much you have or don't have. The gospel works around. God is not saying that if I am saved and surrendered that I'm going to have all the good things. No, he's saying I'm going to accomplish the best thing in your life. I'm going to begin to mold you into the image of my son. statue look right. You know how? All you gotta do is take the chisel and chip away anything in that block of granite that doesn't look like right. Right? And if you'll do that, you'll end up with a statue dead. You know what God gets when we get saved? He gets a blockhead. By and he begins that process of chiseling, working on this attitude of selfishness, working on this attitude of pride, working on this, this propensity to lust. And he begins working on that. And, and sometimes it's a slow process. I'm of you say amen to that. It's a slow process. But God is beginning that work. What? He's working. He's preparing me for eternity. And sometimes it takes a while. God gives us his spirit immediately when we're saved. But then that process of working out what he's worked within, of becoming what we are. Sometimes that's a process. But it's a good one. It's a good process. So that's the first thing. God's purpose is good regardless of what our senses are saying. Here's the second. The second. God's purpose is active even when it seems most inactive. You know, there are times when I wonder, did God get the notice of the meeting? I mean, uh, where's God? You ever felt that way? Am I the only one in the room that ever felt that way? God, why why did you allow this? Why why did that happen? God, I don't understand this. And and you just wonder why that train, uh, that light that was at the end of the tunnel turns out to be a freight train. Lord, I wasn't expecting that. So we wonder, where is God? Paul said, God is active even when we think he is inactive. Remember Joseph? <laughs> well, if has anybody ever had a reason to believe, where's God? It was Joseph. I mean, he's down in that pit brothers have sold him into slavery they're threatening to kill him along comes this caravan and they sell him to egypt he gets down there he's doing pretty good and all of a sudden Potiphar's wife lies on him and ends up accusing him of rape and he finds himself in pharaoh's prison And then he interprets the dreams of the two guys and says, Would you please tell Pharaoh I interpreted this dream for him? Maybe he'll go easy on me. And they don't tell him. And then finally, Pharaoh has a dream nobody can interpret, and they remember Joseph. Joseph gets out of prison, interprets the dream, eventually becomes second in command of the most powerful nation on the earth at that time. He's the second most powerful man. they, Joseph reveals to them who he is, and they're standing there shaking in their boots. Genesis 50, verse 20 is one of the most powerful verses in the Old Testament. Joseph says to his brothers, don't be afraid. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good." Hallelujah. Hey, I don't know how that could happen, but sometimes For Joseph to understand, how could this be working together for good? Or Job, when he lost his camel (laughs) truck, he he lost his wife that could do nothing but complain. He lost everything. And he's sitting in the dust, scraping his sores. I'm sure Job felt God's word. You know the story. Seemed the darkest. God was at work. Dr. Rogers used to tell the story about a man who loved yellow. He loved it so well. His wife got him some yellow pajamas. Then she he liked that so well. She got him some yellow. How did she put in the yellow carpet? Everything in his room was yellow. Finally, he came down and got real sick. He came down with yellow juggers. And so she called the family physician and said, listen, he's too sick to come to the office. Would you come and check on him? So the doctor family friend came. He went up the stairs. Went in the room. He stayed and stayed and stayed. Oh, he came down. Came down the stairs. He had this confused look on his face, and his little wife was frantic. She said, "Doc, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong with my husband?" She. He shook his head. He said, "I don't know." He said, "I looked for that man for three hours, and I never did find him." Friends. <laughs> To heaven a couple of weeks ago. He used to say, God is always at work. We just got to find where He is at work and join Him. You see, God is working. And sometimes God is most active when we think He's the least active. Here's the third thing, real quick. The third thing is this God's plan. If, if I were God, then I'm not. There's some things I just wouldn't include. But you see, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. And as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways. And God's thoughts are our ways. But there's some things I just would not include. You see, look look at the book of Deuteronomy. Would you just turn over there with me just for a minute? The book of Deuteronomy describes that journey out of of Egypt and through the wilderness into the promised land. And so, the book of Deuteronomy, the the word Deuteronomy just means the second telling of the law. So he's telling about that time when God led them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 5, I want to read a couple of verses here. He says, who led you Through that great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land, where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flint rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know. That, now I've got that word circled in my Bible, that's a purpose statement. He says, Here's the reason I did this. Here's the reason I brought you through the wilderness. I brought you through the thirsty land. I brought you through the scorpions. I brought you through the difficult times. I could have brought you another way. It wouldn't have been so hard. But I brought you this way. Why? That That he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. You hear that? He said that I might humble you, that I might test you, So that the end result is going to be good. In other words, there are some things you could never have learned had I not brought you through this experience. The experience was not good. It didn't feel good. It didn't sound good. It didn't look good. It didn't taste good. But God says, ultimately, in eternity's perspective, you'll be able to look back and see that I used even that my hmm. So much I'd like to say here, but my grandmother, Barbara, my paternal grandmother, had crippling arthritis. When a devastating tornado came through northeast Mississippi, a little town called Belmont, I was raised boy. It was a Sunday afternoon. We didn't have the advanced weather warnings we have now, but the tornado was on the family before they knew it. Some of them got out, in fact, all of them got out, rushed to the storm house on that Sunday afternoon, except my grandfather and my grandmother. My grandfather stayed with my grandmother because she was in a wheelchair with crippling Oprah, so he could not. The tornado hit their home directly. I've seen the pictures. It exploded it into what looked like a million pieces. It looked like you'd put TNT in the house and blew it up. When they found my grandmother, her legs were so crushed and broken that they were laying across her body. My grandfather escaped with just a few broken ribs. But they rushed my grandmother to the hospital called the family in and said, if you want to see your mom alive, you need to come. But long story, uh, she lived through that. She lived through that. And later, I became her pastor some 20 years after that. She walked with a limb. One, one leg was six inches shorter than the other. She walked with a limb. I don't know if you caught it or not, but I said that she couldn't go to the storm cellar because she was in a wheelchair. Remember that? Note that I said after 20 years, she walked. Isn't that amazing? She's in a wheelchair, a storm hits, breaks her body, but she heals and is stronger after the storm than she was before. You asked me to explain that medically, and I'm going to tell you, there may be some doctors. pastor who for a half a year, half a century has tried to deal with the the soul of man. I've seen it happen over and over again. The God's plan is harmonious even when it seems to be discordant. See that again? Let me read that. God's plan is harmonious. See those words? Work together. See that? Work together. That's a Greek word. I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't pretend to be, but I, I, I studied Greek. Synegero is the word Greek. It, it's the word we get our word uh, when things, two different things, come together and form synergy. Synergy. And, and, and they, they're able to do more together than they could separately. That, that's the word. And so that's the word he's saying. God works together all things. God brings this stream, this stream, this, this strand, this strand, and he puts them together in a harmonious way. The poet said, not until the loom is silent and the shuttle ceased to fly. will God, breakfast. Sometimes Rose and I, a couple of times a week, we'll, we'll either go out to eat i get the, I love ham and eggs. Y'all like ham and eggs? But I've got this bad habit. I like to put poison. And almost every time I get ham sodium chloride if you take too much sodium it'll kill you if you take too much chloride it'll kill you but when it's mixed together in table salt it's amazing isn't it? it'll still kill you <laughs> but it just takes slower to do it you know Elements that otherwise would destroy you. But he combines them in such a way that the end result is God's glory and his children's good. So I ask you again. Are you like this pen? I'm kind of like this pen. Not not much to (laughs) it, but it does fight with. Well over half a century. before we can claim, verse 28, it says all things work together for good, then we have to have the right relationship with God. We have to be saved. So that he can come and dwell in your heart by his Spirit. Say, well, Brother tell me, I don't know if I would die today, I'd go to heaven. If, if God called you into his presence today and said, why should I let you into my heaven? Yeah. Because you're a member of First Baptist. I'm My precious friend, that's a wonderful thing, but that's not what gets us down. Because you've been baptized, that's a great thing. Every Christian ought to be baptized, but that's not what gets you there. Do you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven because you're trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone as your only hope? My dear friend, if you're here today and you've never done that, you can do it right now, right where you're sitting, this very moment. The Bible says, Whosoever Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, That's what we're not saved by praying. We're saved by trusting Christ, but prayer is a way. Could be a part of this process of praying with them as they look for God's name. What a great time to come and invest your life in the life of this future. If that's you, you could come and say, by the time I want to be a part of first baptism. If we can pray with you, help me anyway. These offers are open if you just want to slip up here and get on your knees. Father, these moments of invitation are yours. Have your perfect. Stay together as we sing our hymn of